So we have left off here in volume number two, letter number 23, which is a very long letter. Uh, and it's basically the whole chapter is almost going to end on this letter, three or four pages. So we started by saying, Imam Nabani they said that the greatest advice which one can give to one's dearest son and to all of one's one friends is that to do ittiba of the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah and to abstain from all bidati to absolutely refrain from all blameworthy innovation and that Islam, the of Islam in this age has become a stranger it is, has no helper and no aid become helpless and unaided and the Muslims who follow this deen of Islam have also become in such a way that they don't have any yar, they have no friend and they have no helper and then as the zamana, as the age passes and as time passes, then Imam Rabbein writes, they're going to be even more gharib, that the deen of Islam will be even more of a stranger, and the Muslims will find themselves more estranged on earth, such that it will reach a point that there will be no one left on earth who will say, Allah, Allah. And this is, you remember, hadith of the Prophet has mentioned several times, that the Day of Judgment will not happen. So this is what Imam Rabbein has said. Uh, that the, the, the other hadith is that the Day of Judgment will not happen as long as there is a person who is saying, Allah, Allah. So what will happen then, another hadith says, nas, That the Day of Hour will dawn on the worst of people, the most evil of people will happen. Uh, the Day of Judgment will dawn when the most evil of people live on this earth. So, Imam Rabbein says, and given that we are proceeding in that direction, that indeed joyous and felicitous and successful and fortunate and happy is that person who can revive a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that the people have left in such an age and day and age in which Islam is a stranger and which sunnah has become a stranger and which bidah have become murawaj and mamul means bidah have become widespread and prevalent and common and have been established. And then Imam Rabbein writes that this is that time in which 1,000 years have passed after the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah and the signs of the end of time are rapidly appearing. This one comment here on the signs of the end of time. So you will feel actually if you look at Islamic history throughout the ages ulama used to feel this way. So much so that even Sayyidina Rasulullah when storm clouds used to gather, it comes in the day of the moment, Aisha said, also some face would change color. And even though technically, as a Nabi, he had been given that ilm that obviously the day judgment is not going to come in his lifetime, but still so much fear of Allah SWT, so much fear of the day of judgment, that even the Tabiyat became like as if the day of judgment perhaps may be coming while these storm clouds gather. So, and you will find in ulama throughout the ages that they have felt that we are in, living in an age of Nazul. But this much we can say for our Salikin, that if Imam of the Bani and Mujad of Hussain pursues such great spiritual insight and perception and the reviver of the second Islamic millennium, said 400 years ago that we have begun the time of the age close to the Day of Judgment, that means that definitely we are now very close to the time of the Day of Judgment. What that very close means, Allah Ta'ala knows best, but you can put it this way, that we are, if I told you, you're 400 years closer, so you would say, okay, I'm quite closer. So 400 years closer, further into Qurbi Qiyama, because if Imam Al-Banatah says Qurbi Qiyama started then, so we are 400 years into the Zaman of Qurbi Qiyama. 
Not that that zamana has just started over on the fringes of it. We should view that we're 400 years into the zamana of Kulbe Kiyama. Then Imam al-Banata continues that uh, so the 1,000 years have passed since the time of the Prophet the zamana of the Prophet and lying and fraud and injustice have spread rapidly, have become widespread and innovation, bidda has become, jalwa has become very manifest on earth. Now, if in such a situation, Imam Rabbi says that now we need a shahbaz, shahbaz means a falcon, means a strong and stout and devout and resolute young man, that is called shahbaz. Imam Rabbi says that we need a shahbaz jawam mark. Yes. A strong young falcon of a man, too, is needed, who does what? who helps, literally it says, help the sunnah, means advocates the cause of the sunnah, and uh, captures, and shikast uh, captures and eliminates uh, the bidah. Spreading these, these bidah that are spreading, and for them to become jari, they are not just spreading, but they are becoming ongoing, they are becoming, they are gaining perpetuity. So this has become, this is becoming a means of the devastation of deen. And for a person to respect an innovator, to, get, to accord and grant any respect to a person of innovation is actually equivalent to erasing the deen of Islam from earth. Therefore, we should not even give any respect. And here he quotes it, you, he says to the person who's writing the literature, you must have heard the words of the Prophet ﷺ, that that person who gives waqar, who gives, you know, waqara, who respects the person of bidah, فَقَدْ إِعَانَ ala hadim al-Islam then that person is actually assisted in the eradication. Hadam means wiping out an eradication of the deen of Islam. Therefore, one should be very attentive towards this, and we should be very cautious and attentive towards this, and one should try to make as many sunnat as possible perpetuate and spread and perpetuate. In every age, one of the weaknesses of the deen of Islam one of the causes that brings about the weakness of Islam in every single age is that a person leaves establishing the legal injunctions of the deen of Islam and a person leaves following the sunnah and that in extent, extent bidah comes and spoils the deen of Islam. Therefore, in the, such an age of weakness, uh, the way to establish deen is to spread the sunnah and to eliminate the bid'ah. And even if in a previous generation, people perhaps seeing some virtue or merit or beauty, some husn in a bid'ah, they adopted that due to, and because of that, then certain individuals became afradi bid'ah, or certain individuals cause of innovation, because they thought it was better. But Imam Rabbani says that this fakir, this humble and needy servant of Allah subhanahu does not agree with their decision. And he feels that Bida should not be followed uh, in any way whatsoever, uh, and this fakir does not view any bida to be a hasan or any innovation to be praiseworthy. Okay, and again we have explained this to you before that what Imam Rabbanatay means here is that to discard a sunnah for something new, even if that something new may have some merit or virtue in it, to discard a sunnah for something new is something Imam Rabbanatay can never accept as opposed to doing something in a detailed manner 
which doing something which Allah Ta'ala has himself enjoined as part of deen, doing that in a detailed method that has not been outlined in the sunnah, when the sunnah itself has not articulated any detailed method of doing that act, that is not what he would be talking about here. So he's talking about adopting a bidai hasana while discarding the bidah, uh, discarding the sunnah, and for that then he quotes the Jesus of the Prophet, that each and every matter that is newly innovated is a manifest deviance and is going astray. So then Imam Rabbanta said that in given that we are living in an age of the strange, estranged and weak deen of Islam, then in, in such an age to the security and strength of the deen of Islam will only be restored and is dependent on the restoration of the sunnah. And the devastation of the deen of Islam will lie due to the committing of bidah. So therefore, irrespective of whatever type of bidah that is, every single bidah should be, is like a... Every single bidah is going to play a role in the destruction or the plummeting in the downfall, in the downfall of Deen of Islam. And it will eradicate the bunyad, the foundation, it erodes, the it leads to the downfall of Deen of Islam by eroding its very foundations. Every bidah is like that. And the sunnah, the likeness of the sunnah is like that brilliant shining star in the darkest of nights that becomes a source of guidance for those who are lost and astray from the path. Allah SWT, and then Imam Rabbani makes a kind of dua that may Allah SWT grant tawfiq, grant ability and success to the ulama of the time, that they should not call any bidah hasan, they should not sanction any innovation by calling it virtuous or beneficial, and they should not do amal themselves, they should not give a fatwa that is permissible to do amal on any bidah. I'll give you an example of this from another area of maktubat, very important to know. Imam Rabbani his maktubat is very clearly and explicitly spoken against Maulid and celebrating Milad al Nabi. And this is the reason. This is the perfect way to understand why he was against it. Right? And no person who calls himself Naqshabandi Mujaddi can ever celebrate Maulid when they're Shaykh. Can you imagine that Imam Rabbani says something explicitly, clearly, that this should not be done? How can somebody call themselves Naqshabandi and do that? Right? Why? Because Imam Rabbani perhaps was thinking, of this theory that would be a good example that the people who initiated it maybe they did it for a good virtuous reason for a noble cause and objective the people will get together and because of their emotional love for the Prophet and then because it's the day of his birth they will remember Sayyidina remember his life but then that became jari it propagated it attained perpetuity and so this is one of the major reform efforts of Imam Rabbani to get the ulama to stop lending their support and you will find today even on the internet people digging out fatwas from centuries ago in support of the Milad. So it's fatwas precisely like that. Now, I won't take the name because those were very senior Fukahab, the Shafi mother, one or two, right? But this is what Imam Rabbani is commenting on. So the Mujaddid is the one who the ulama of fatwa are supposed to take guidance from as to which ruksa, which dispensation they can issue a fatwa for and which one they should not issue a fatwa for because the ulama, Fukaha, even Mujtahidun will have a limited understanding of this compared to the understanding of the Mujaddid of the time. So Imam al-Rabbani is speaking in these passages in his capacity and in his authority as a Mujaddid. 
and the mujaddid at the time is going to tell the ulama of an age what to do. So this is what he said, that the ulama should stop lending their support to these bidat because they view them to be husband by actually writing a fatwa. And that is why if somebody brings us to us a fatwa that so-and-so gave a fatwa, that milad is okay. It's no problem. The mujaddid has already addressed that issue and the mujaddid has told the ulama that she's not issue such fatwas. So we discard this fatwa because our mujaddid of the deen of Islam discarded this fatwa. This fatwa has no meaning for us. Right? Even if, and he says the ulama, should, the, <coughs> the scholars, <coughs> should stop giving a fatwa, licensing and giving cover to such a bidda, even if uh, it, even if that bidda appears to them to be as brilliant as the morning sunlight. Why? Because anything other than the sunnah opens itself up to the plottings and schemings and fraud and deception of shaitan and shaitan will dominate wherever you find bidah prevalent. And then Imam Ramadan said, but in previous times, a very interesting point he says, in previous ages Islam was strong. And that's why when the ulama gave this fatwa, and I'm, I'm explaining a little bit more, he's writing here that he writes that in previous ages Islam was strong. What he means by that, and that is why the ulama of those earlier times, when they gave that fatwa, if you dig up a centuries old fatwa, well, that was the time when Islam was so strong that the bidah was not going to, the bidah hasana was not going to lead to any danger. However, and so it could handle, it had, uh, it could bardas, it could accommodate. Uh, if the deen of Islam's strength was so strong that it could handle and it could accommodate such a fatwa. Uh, and it perhaps because at that time that the nur of the deen of Islam was so brilliant uh, that the bidah would not have any effect, but now, because in this time, because the whole world appears to us just to be a darkness upon darkness and a sea and endless oceans of engulfing darkness, so therefore, uh, therefore, because we live in this time of weakness, uh, there should be no uh, adopting of any such bidat in the slightest of way. All right. So what Imam Rabbanah meant was that because when the deen of Islam was strong, uh, the nur of the deen of Islam was not affected, the bidat al hasanad did not taint the nur of Islam. But when the nur of Islam became weaker, and Islam became gharib and estranged and without friend and without helper, then the bidat al even the hasan bidat, became a taint and then a stain on the deen of Islam. And then combine that with all of the bidat al the blame were the innovations, then we find that we are engulfed in darkness. So the way to get the nur of Islam back is to make the nur of the sunnah pierce through that darkness. And then for the nur of the sunnah to pierce through that darkness, you have to abandon even all of the bidate hasana. That's how we would then explain this. Then Imam Ramadan continues and says that, He says, so now, he says, given that Islam is in so weak right now, at this time neither should we take the fatawa of the mutakaddimin that give license to bidat and hasana, nor should we take the fatawa of the mutaakhirin. Now these are relative terms in the early jurists and the latter, latter day or the later jurists. So Imam al is talking about his immediate contemporaries and predecessors that we shouldn't take their license either. 
And why is that? Because that every single age and time will have a different ahkam, will have a different uh, way of doing amal on the sharia. And in this day and age, the whole world of Islam is suffering due to the widespread manifestation and abundance of bidah. And again, so, and then in everywhere you see these oceans of darkness engulfing us everywhere. And so this nur of the sunnah has become estranged and has become, qalil has become little. And because of that, then the darknesses of the bidah are more dark. Because you don't have the nur of the sunnah there. Then he gives the example of a firefly. Jagnu. Uh, firefly. So he gives the example of a firefly that when you have uh, in the dark, and when you have engulfed in the darkness of bidah, then those few scattered lights of sunnah are like the, they appear as minute as the light of a firefly appears in the darkness of the night. But we need to therefore act on the sunnah, increase people's action and amal on the sunnah, to increase that nur, to increase, the, to have the nur of the sunnah be more and more and more. Now then, Imam Nabi says, so now there is a choice. That whoever wants, whoever's heart desires, they can still stick to the path of Bidah Hasana. Or if they want, that their heart can follow the nur of the sunnahs and try to expand and make that nur widespread. And whoever wants, they can uh, decide to follow the path of shaitan. Uh, he says, and whoever wants, they can try to join and increase the numbers of the forces of shaitan. Or if their heart desires, they can join and increase the forces, the jamaat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they can add to that jamaat. Then Imam Rabbi writes that the Sufiya of the time, if only they were to be honest and just, if they had insaf, if they were to be honest and just and equitable and consider the weak position of the deen of Islam at that time and consider that lies, fraud, fabrication have become widespread, if they were to take these things into account, and as your comments take into account the fact that lying has been widespread and that the deen of Islam is weak, then they would realize that we should never do anything against the sunnah or uh, in place of the sunnah and we should never do the lead of anything uh, in place of the sunnah. It means we should never follow some uh, habit of a previous teacher of ours when that habit has come as a displacement of the sunnah. And uh, we should not make this as an excuse that no, the earlier Sufi sheikhs used to do this and therefore we should also do it. They should instead realize the time that they're living in and with all certainty with all certainty and certain conviction that if they were to follow the sunnah that if they were to follow the sunnah, following the sunnah alone will give us salvation in such dark times. And all of the khairat and barakat, all of the goodnesses and blessings in the deen will also come from following the sunnah. And all those goodnesses and blessings in the deen will be lost when we do things contrary to sunnah. So again you have here this whole letter, and, I, and, and obviously those of you who understand what I said, why I repeatedly emphasize this, this is a bidai hasana that is khilaf sunnah. That's what he's saying. Sunnah ki khilaf. So khilaf sunnah. Against the sunnah. Which means there is a sunnah way of doing something and, and you go against that sunnah way and you adopt a bidai hasana. Hasana means that the way you adopt, even though it's contrary to and separate from the sunnah, the new way you adopt, there's nothing in it that's against sharia, so we will still call it hasana. The jurist would still call it hasana. And okay, and this is khatra khatra. This is and doing this 
uh, adopting these bid'at hasilah that according to the sunnah have danger in every single step. Danger lies in every single step in following this path. وَمَا أَلَّا رَسُولَ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغِ And then he quotes the ayah of Quran al-Karim that Al-Nabiya came to us and the only thing incumbent upon him was delivering and spreading and propagating the message. Then Imam al-Bandari writes something that has commented that the next line that he writes in this letter is something that is worth writing with gold. And what is that? That Imam al-Bandari says that may Allah also reward our mashayikh and nakshaban on our behalf with the most greatest and most tremendous and most noble and most virtuous and most bountiful reward. Why? Because our mashayikh and nakshaban did not tell their muttabeen did not tell their followers to follow umur and to follow innovations. They didn't give them the teaching and guidance to follow innovations. Nor did they tell them to simply follow uh, whatever that they are doing, but rather they said that a person should follow the sunnah and do itimah of the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah And indeed there is no more enlightened or brilliant or luminous path other than following that sunnah. And as he explained this, that our Mashaykh, may Allah spell same similar thing, that our Mashaykh, may Allah Ta'ala grant a tremendous reward on our part, who instead of telling us to follow them, they told us to follow the Sunnah. Instead of telling us to follow them and whatever they do, they should follow the Sunnah. Right? And, and may Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala give us Kamal Itiba on the Sunnah, and may Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala also from our part, and so this was mentioned in that gathering and this gathering, that on the behalf of each and every single one of us, may Allah grant the most tremendous and immense and bountiful jaza and ajr and reward and compensation to our Mashaikh, that instead of telling us to follow them, they told us to follow the path of the Sunnah of Sayyidina So that ends the second night from last year. Third night was on Sufmat al-Shaykh. Alhamdulillahi wa rakafa wa salamun ala ibadihim ladhin astafa al-mabab. Awlu billahi min ash-shaytun al-radhin bismillah al-rahman al-rahim. Ya ayyuhal ladhin amunattakullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadikin. Waqalullahu ta'ala fi maqam al-akhir. Wattabi sabila man anaba ilayya. Subhanahu rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli ala sidna Muhammad. Allah SWT has given every single person a breast inside of which lies a heart that has feelings, emotions and sensitivities and sensitivities then whenever a person uh, sits in the company of someone then the company of that person will take an effect on that person so much so that even those animals with which a person, a human being, spends times, the attributes and traits of those animals will also have an effect on that person and can even get muntakil transferred into that person. The ulama have written that that person who tends to goats and herds sheep, those people you will find that because of their company with the sheep, they will have more humility in them. And that person who tends to horses and raises horses and trains horses that person will have more courage, a dynamic courage and strength in them, bravery, courage, bravery and courage with them. And that person who tends to and cares for goats or herds and takes goats out to graze and pasture, then that person will have more stubbornness and obstinacy with them. 
So if now after reflecting on this, then we should think that if keeping the company of animals has an effect on a human being, then imagine how much effect keeping the company of a human being will have on another human being. And we should always remember this is a golden rule that what is the effect that the effect of a muttaqi, pious, virtuous person will be that he will have the effect of taqwa and piety on his company, and the effect of a sinner uh, on a person will be effect of evil. The effect of keeping the company of an evil person is that he will have an evil effect on those who keep the company. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu explained this in a hadith, in a beautiful example, and he gave the parable that a virtuous friend is like a thawd, or is like the perfume seller. And if you sit in, in like the store of the perfume seller, if you even so much as go and sit in that shop, then you will definitely get some type of fragrance. You will be able to smell good fragrances, and part of it will slightly rub off on you. And it may even happen that due to your continued association with that perfume seller, he may even give you some perfume due to your association with him. And even if he doesn't, however long you remain sitting in his shop, at the very least during that duration, you will always get some sweet scent and fragrance which you can smell and you will be adorned with that sweet scent and fragrance while you remain there. And on the other hand, the Bhikkhu mentions that on the other hand is the, the likeness and parable of a bad and evil friend, an evil company, is like the person who is a ironsmith or a blacksmith, which means a person who works with steel and iron in the hot furnace. And what happens when he burns the coals in his furnace in order to melt and mold and temper the iron and steel? So if you go and sit by the furnace of the blacksmith, then surely you will feel the heat of the furnace and there is no way that you will be able to save yourself from that heat and you will also if somehow you were able to save yourself from the heat then you would all if nothing else you would get blackened by the soot of the what do they call it the smoke the black smoke that is produced from the furnace if nothing else that smoke will overcome you and you will get blackened due to the soot of the smog uh, that uh, comes uh, from burning the coal in the furnace so the likeness of good company is that of fragrance and the likeness of bad company is like soot and flame. However sober you keep, you will get such an effect. And then a poet explained this in this way. That if you go and sit every day with the atar, then one day you will emerge from his shops such that your own clothing will be fragrant. And if every day you go and sit with the blacksmith, then surely one day you will exit from his furnace workshop such that your clothes will have been singed or your clothes will have been burnt. If somebody presents this, that uh, if somebody tries to say to the poet that no, I will protect my clothes and gives the argument that I won't let the clothes get burnt, so then the next two lines of the poet, he answered this, and he said, okay, I can accept, I can accept that yes, you kept your clothes protected from getting burned. However, there's no way that you could have protected yourself from the, um, how can I say, sake means the crisp, means that you could, there's no way you could protect yourself. You could protect your clothes from getting burnt by the fire, but there's no way you could protect yourself from feeling the heat of that fire if every day you sit by the furnace of the blacksmith. 
So then we realize that, that if a person has bad company, it will have a bad effect on them. If they have good company, then goodness and virtue will enter into that person. Then another way how the Jesus is explaining this uh, is what is called nadr, which means the case of Nabiya Kim in one hadith. Uh, you can find proof for this in a hadith that once a sahaba uh, looked at another sahaba and the gaze of that first sahaba had an impact and had an effect on the other sahaba. So they came to the Prophet and they shared this with him. So the Prophet said that, gave the solution and he said that Al-Aynu Haqqam and Al-Ayn Hukum means that Al-Ayn means the gaze and Haq means real. It means the effect of the gaze is real indeed. And this is what the Prophet said. And this is what we say in Urdu, Nazar, Qadar, Jana. It means that the effect of the gaze is real. So if even the gaze of a person has an effect, that is what Nabi Yusuf is establishing in it. Let alone company, presence, presence, company, association, relation, even prior to that, even just the gaze has an effect. So if that gaze has enmity in it, hostility in it, envy in it, then that another that gaze will have an effect. So then why won't that gaze that has muhammad, that has love in it, ikhlas in it, has sincerity in it, has lillahiyya, has a gaze of association for the sake of Allah Santa in it, how can that gaze then also not have an effect? And what who is giving and receiving that gaze, that is the gaze that the old Ya Allah give to people. They gaze upon people with that gaze of love and uh, sincerity. And that's why then, uh, that's why Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala said, that, oh you who believe, that you should fear Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you should be, put your being in the being of the sadiqeen. And what does it mean here? It means if nothing else, they will gaze upon you. If nothing else happens, when you sit in their company, they will gaze upon you. So getting their gaze, al-ayn we hear from hadith that their gaze will have a real effect. And so then indeed, as you can feel that indeed the suhbah has a tremendous benefit on a person. Then the effect, the ta'thir, and the dynamic and deep effect of suhbah of the Ahlullah, or keeping the company of the awliyaullah. Then as you mentioned that in our society, that is a lot of emphasis is repeatedly stressed and emphasized to keep suhbah, to keep suhbah. And that if a person has a virtuous suhbah, that if they spend however much time person can spend in virtuous company, they should spend so. However much time they can spend in company of their shaykh, they should spend so. So, sohbat is salihin and sohbat is shaykh. A person has to do both of these things as much as possible. When a person spends sohbat with their shaykh, then what happens Then the illnesses from their batin, their spiritual illnesses, very quickly get eradicated. Uh, so, in the, so, the company of the shaykh will remove very quickly their spiritual diseases. Even one moment of suhbah is sufficient to change the condition of a person's heart. And Hazaji says about himself that we used to go and we used to gaze, keep the company and gaze at our own shaykh. And so many people used to come. People used to come and go. And there would be some people who would see that they would just come and they would gaze at the face of our shaykh just once. They would cast one glance at our shaykh and their whole life would change forever. And then so many ulama also used to come to Hazrat Ulama and so many ulama would come and they would also say, that they would say to Hazrat that we want to come and meet your Shaykh. And so we would ask them, uh, and we, we want to come and meet your Shaykh because we 
want to ask the Sheikh such and such a question or we have some questions to ask. And so we would tell them that yes, go ahead, you feel free to ask. However, as and when, as soon as they cast their first glance on the Sheikh, they forgot all of their questions. And one fakir, uh, then Hazrati says that this fakir, this humble and needy one, Hazrati, used to recite this couplet to such ulama in the guide to Jawab Oh, just meeting you, just the meeting with you uh, granted me answers to every question. And everything was resolved without anything being asked or anything being said, anything being spoken, anything being replied. Then as he said that if a person has cancer, another example he gave, so but when a person has cancer, there are two ways that they can cure that cancer. The first way is that they give that person medicine, right, which is what we call that chemotherapy. So by giving that person that medication, then the cancer is controlled, brought into control. However, uh, you will see that the effects of that medicine take a bit of time to have an effect. It takes medicine some time to have an effect and it can be a bit slow sometimes after one month, sometimes after two months sometimes after three months sometimes after six months after having the medicine it shows its effect there's a second way that cancer can be cured and that is through radiation therapy right? through radiation waves therapy and that has an immediate effect so the people who so they take the cancer patient and they place him in front of a machine that emits radiation waves and at that moment then uh, the radiation waves you can say burn the cancer uh, are trying to burn the cancer away and this has an extremely immediate and quick effect on that illness of cancer just like that a person who has sins the effect of sins on their kalb and they want to remove the all effects and traces of the sins on their kalb, they have two ways to do so. Either, number one, they do so much zikr, so much zikr, that then Allah's mercy will shower upon them, and then, and that mercy, when Allah will send His mercy showering upon them, Allah will by His mercy remove the dark effects of sins on their heart. And the second way that they can do that, is that a person should sit in the company of a sheikh who is sahib e a sheikh who has inner inner power and inner spirituality and nur of nisbat inside their batan. So when a person sits in the company of such mashaykh, then the fez that comes out from the spiritual hearts, the gloob of such mashaykh, and is, is like a blast of radiation waves, that are emitted from the Qalub spiritual heart of the Shaykh and directed at the Qalub of the Muridin of the seekers and students who are in front of the Shaykh and just like the radiation wave therapy had an immediate and intense effect on the cancer just like that the waves of Nur and Fez of Nisbat that comes out from the Qalub of the Shaykh and is directed towards the Qalub of the Salikin Muridin has an immediate effect on erasing the darkness and effect of the sin